Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. In 1983, I took a soul search, began to examine my life, discovered that I was not happy. Something was missing, and I couldn't figure it out. I mean, I had climbed the military ladder to success. I was on a prestigious special assignment that only 2% of the people in the Air Force get. Had a high-level position among not only the United States, but all the countries aligned themselves in Europe. I also had a beautiful wife still do. An athletic son, had a home, had two cars, and the latest model. But despite all my material things, things that I have achieved that I thought would bring me happiness, there was a, a void in my life. And I don't remember all the details, but somehow I came up with a New Testament Bible, a little small thing you've probably seen. It may have been in a hotel or airline or even a chapel. I can't remember. But within that New Testament, in the back, it had an index that listed a scripture for every situation and circumstances in life. I found my situation and began to read Psalm 51.10 every day. Still doing what I was doing, but I still read that scripture and prayed every night, Lord created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. After one year, On one Friday night, God miraculously answered my prayer. And from that moment, I became a changed man. So Psalm 51 is special to me, but I did not know the entire story of why David so passionately cried out to the Lord until much later in my Christian walk. And when I did... I understood my own past. You see, I was looking for happiness where I needed joy. Happiness finds its source in things and stuff. But joy has its foundation in a relationship. So the story of King David in Psalm 51 is still special to me. It's still personal to this day. For me, 
it was the most and is the most impactful passage in the Bible. You see, David was king of all Israel. He was beloved by most, but respected by all. But what he did caused him to lose joy. From a New Testament perspective, we can say David was saved. However, this one act broke the connection, broke the fellowship with God. As a result, David found himself in a severe battle with guilt and depression. Many of us, many of you, have gone down this same road. We'll say, but we sin. And that sin has caused a break in the fellowship with God. The guilt, the shame has left us feeling empty, down, maybe even dirty. And even though we put on a good show in our environment, even in church, we smile, we say all the Christian jargon inside of us. Something just ain't right. Our selected scripture text will show us how David dealt with this loss of joy. There are several things about David we need to consider which will aid us in our personal modern application. The first of these is David's testimony. I want you to really think with me because this is going to be maybe a little detailed. David's testimony. Now, I can find this in the Old Testament, but the New Testament brings it out quite clearer. It's in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. The background behind this is Saul, the people-chosen king, who has messed up, and God has removed him. And let's let the text show us what it says in verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which will fulfill all my will. That's David's testimony. But then let's look at David's failure. When we look at David's failure, we have to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. Now, if you're interested in these scripture notes, I'll give them to you afterward. And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired. David sent and inquired. David sent and inquired after the woman. 
And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? I want you to understand, this is more than a question. This is a statement. The servant was reminding King David that Bathsheba was a married woman. Well, y'all get the point now. He said, uh, I want you to go and check this woman out. And they said, King, ain't that Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah? But the king, the Bible says he looked on her and she was very, very beautiful. So the king allowed his eyes to lead him. He was so captivated by Bathsheba's sexuality, he allowed his lust to run rampant and to satisfy himself. Verse 4. And David sent messenger and took her. Now I want y'all to focus on that word, took her. And she came unto him. And he laid with her and she was for she was purified from uncleanness and she returned unto her own house. This thing about purified but cleanliness is stopped a whole bunch of theologians, but basically it means that she was okay to have sex. It was a one-night affair, but that one-night affair resulted in Bathsheba becoming pregnant. Uh-oh. This is a problem for the king. And he came up in his own mind with his solution. He recalled her husband, who was on the battlefield, Uriah the Hittite, hoping that he would come home, lay with his wife, and thereby would think that the baby was his. But David's plan failed. Because Uriah was one of the king's most trusted and faithful, loyal soldiers. He refused to take advantage of what he had on this leave called by the king that the soldiers in the field did not have. So instead of him taking the king to prepare this great meal and, and fellowshipping with his wife, he slept with the king's soldiers at the door. So David put another plan into motion that will allow Uriah to be killed in battle. And so it was. And after a period of mourning, David married Bathsheba. Verse 27 in chapter 11 of Samuel 2. And when the morning was passed, David sent and fetched her to his house. Okay, the first time he took her. This time he fetched her. Get that. Make that what you want to make out of it. And she became his wife and bare his son. But the thing, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You see, we all got the thing. Some of us got some things. But the bottom line, it displeased the Lord. What? The man who has a testimony of being a man after God's own heart displeased the Lord? 
This is very strong language in the Hebrew. David not only committed adultery, he also committed murder. The Lord was not only displeased by what David done, but how David did it. Y'all can't get this. You see, David involved some other people in his mess. That's a message in itself. You don't mess up. Now you're going to get some other people in your mess up to agree with you. Let's continue as we look at verse 14, 15 of chapter 11, 2 Samuel. And it came to pass in the morning. David wrote a letter. Remember I said he was not only displeased about what he did, but how he did it. Now don't miss this. David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Uriah don't know a heathen faithful soldier of God working for the king and the king gives him a death sentence and he got to take it back his own death sentence he was so faithful he didn't even read it and he wrote in the letter remember Uriah's carrying this letter saying, set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. Hmm. Again, sometimes it's not what we do, it's how we do it. You see, Joab set Uriah up. Then Joab you might say deserted Uriah. This made Joab an accessory to murder. So a lot of time y'all listen to people stuff out there, you ain't got to do it, but you're an accessory to it. Now here's another point that's often missed. I know I missed a couple times there. Uriah wasn't the only somebody that died. Look with me at verse 22 of chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. So the messenger went and came and showed David all the joy of sent him, the letter. And the message said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us on the field, and we were upon them even up unto the entering the gate. And the soldiers shot from off the wall upon thy servants. And some of the king's servants be dead. And thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. The only somebody that David wanted dead was Uriah. But some other faithful soldiers died as well. Man after God's own heart. David Failure was awful. He committed adultery. Then committed not just murder, but mass murder. We don't know how many men were killed, but there were more than two or three.
can this be? If I have a testimony that I'm a man after God's own heart, how can I displease the Lord? We need to understand that being a man after God's own heart means a man who is sensitive to the things of God. But sometimes, these senses gets dull. There's some things we can do being a man after God's own heart that will dull our senses to him. You see, King David was not in his rightful place. If you look at chapter 11, it starts off says, when the king goes to war, David should have been with his troops. But he was at home cooling out. And when he was at home, he saw something he would never saw if he had been in his rightful place. This is a war ground here. A lot of times when it's cold and raining, we choose to stay home. And then we get to surfing the internet and the TV. And we see something we ought not have seen. And then we go a little further and see something else we ought not have seen. And at first it just become a visual stimulation. But sooner or later I got, to, I got to do something with this visual. I got to put it into action. All because you weren't in the right place. David was no longer sensitive because he was in the wrong place. Why was he a man after God's own heart? Because when he was confronted by the man of God, Nathan the prophet of God, he heard the word of God. And once David heard the word of God, he became sensitive again to the Lord. Verse 9 of chapter 12 says, Where hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Even though David did not physically kill Uriah, God viewed it as if he had. But David recognized that what he'd done now that he's been confronted did not please the Lord and that he deserved death. So this leads us to the next thing. When we're coming from David's testimony to David's failure, we want to go to David's confession in verse 13 of chapter 12. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord has put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. What makes David a man after God's own heart? I want you to know something. He did not make excuses. When he was confronted, thank you, Holy Ghost. He didn't get after Nathan. He didn't blame Bathsheba for being half naked. He took the responsibility. I am of a mind that for brother Deacon Walker went to another brother, Deacon Taylor, and confronted him about that lifestyle, the first thing they're going to do is get back at you. They're going to make excuses. You weren't there. You didn't know what happened. 
Why can't we take confrontation from another brother when they're lining up with the word of God and stop making excuses? David recognized that his sin was ultimately against God. And here's something else he recognized. As awfulness as what he done was, David knew he deserved death. He heard Nathan say, but thy sin has been pulled away. You ain't going to die. I believe in my mind this crushed David. So full of guilt, he realized he needed to be punished. And while sin has a consequence, sometimes the punishment for the sin is removed. I want you to look back with me and see, see exactly what crushed David so much. See, when Nathan goes to David and confronts him, he starts off with a parable. He tells about this man who had one special little sheep, a little lamb, and another man who had a whole herd of it. The rich man who had a whole herd, instead of killing one of his sheep for a banquet for a friend, took the one little lamb. When David heard the story, David got enriched. He was so upset. He said, this man will surely die and pay for for when Nathan looked David, I believe, in the eye and said what we have in verse 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus said the Lord God of Israel, and get this now, I appointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wife into thy bosom and gave thee a house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have moreover given you unto thee such and such thing. David, I made you who you are. And notice it says, I gave you all the wise of Saul as well as your own. And if you want something else, I would have gave you that too. This brought such a conviction over David. He recognized that God had been good to him. And he knew that he had disappointed God with his action. You know, one of the, one of the proofs of being saved or not being saved, if you can do some sin and you know it's a disappointing God and be okay with it, you probably ain't saved. Sin ought to hurt. It ought to give you such a conviction that it drives you to repentance. In his brokenness, David knew that the Lord was disappointed. He was devastated. And although he knew God had forgiven him, he still had this guilt and shame. Now, this was the background of David writing Psalm 51. And like with our other text, there are several points to this psalm that help us when we struggle with guilt and shame. 
to the point we no longer have no joy. The first thing about Psalm 51 is an acknowledgement. First four verses is an overview of everything else. But notice, David crying out, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to thy multitude of thy tender mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly, thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. Transgression me, I went too far. I crossed over the line. And my sin, sin implies missing the mark. It's forever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou may be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. I know I deserve death. That was David's acknowledgement. Then he breaks down his request in verses 7 through 10. David's request. What did David request? Verse 7. Purge me with his son. And I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sin, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, and renew a right spirit in me. Can I break this down for you? Purge me. How many of you remember when we didn't have the washing machine that all you got to do is punch a button? How many of you remember the, what they call a rub board? If you can't remember that far back, then remember steel wool. You know what steel wool is, right? I don't know, some of y'all don't wash dishes, so maybe not. But the eye behind purge me is scrubbing. They said, wash me. This implies bleaching that is required for very sore clothing. Then it said, make me, cause me to hear loudly the joy that I once had. Because right now I can't feel nothing. How many of y'all know you look at music and you want to find something to make you feel sadder? You play sad music. Sometimes you want to feel better, you play better music. Then he said, hide, conceal, and treat as if it does not exist. I like this next one, blot out. It's the process of dying so that the original material can't be seen. It is removing from the record. You go down in the courthouse and when a debt is paid off for a house, they just draw a line through that ledger. Not only purge and wash and make and hide, blah, 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 he said, our key verse, creating me. That's an inward regeneration of attitude and emotions. It said, renew. That's repair. Put back to the formal state. Now, why did David go to such a scripted list? Because sin broke that fellowship with God and he didn't have no joy. So he cries out in verse 11, K 
cast me not away from your presence and take not the Holy Spirit from me. He wasn't going to be cast from God's presence, but he couldn't feel him. God wasn't going to take his Holy Spirit, but he couldn't feel him. John MacArthur gave a very good example of the Holy Spirit that abides within the believer. He's saying that the Holy Spirit don't feel comfortable sometimes in us because we won't let him be comfortable. He wants to take a seat in us, but he got to get up and clean up some mess in us. Won't you think about somebody invite you to their house and you don't like chitlins. And the first thing you do when you sit down is smell chitlins. And then they bring you a plate of chitlins. You don't feel comfortable. And then you don't like things that's junky. And they ask you to clean up. You ain't got time to fellowship them because you're so busy cleaning up. And you don't know who they are. Then verse 12, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You know, it's a sad thing for somebody to say that don't have no joy. You ought to be joyful that the fact that you are saved. But sin will not allow you to enjoy it. The confrontation of Nathan made David aware that he had become indifferent in his attitude. So he needed renovation. But after renovation, David sensed the need that he needed restoration. David was also aware that in order to experience the joy he once had with the Lord, he needed God's spiritual renewal. So this leads us to the final thing. David vow. Chapter 51 of Psalms, verse 13. Then, in other words, after you have cleansed me and, and washed me up and restored my salvation, the joy of it anyway, I will then teach transgressors your way. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. David vowed to tell all he saw of the loving, forgiving nature of God. He would tell the one of the one who is able and willing to restore the joy for those who are drowning in guilt and shame. My brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, this is my story. I was a David. But when God filled that void in my life and gave me joy, I became a Nathan. I vowed to teach those who are saved and who have transgressed, who has crossed over, who went beyond the limit the way of the Lord. And I have a strong desire to tell all those who are not saved 
all those who are addicted and struggling with the power of sin about God's transforming power that will convert them. One of the problems that we have why people don't commit their life to the Lord, they don't think they have to. You see, everyone is God's creation, but not everyone is God's child. Creation is by ownership. A child is about, about relationship. I'm going to talk a little bit about the cave because you're going out at the right time with them boys. You see, Kalea has a puppy named Honey. She bought the dog, or somebody gave it to her. It's her dog. But that dog ain't gonna never be able to call her mama. That dog ain't never gonna never be able to say, I love you. Why? Because she has ownership of him. But Maurice and Brebe can talk to her. See, when you God's creation, you ain't got no communication. You got to become God's child. Here's your opportunity. It's an opportunity for the saved and the unsaved. Those you're saved and know that you got guilt, blood, as David called it. And those who you are that are unsaved, and you're bound by the power of sin. God wants to give you his spirit and restore the joy of your salvation. I'm going to ask those who will, who desire to, to join me at the altar right now. Because it's time for some of us to talk to the Lord. And I want to make sure that you really know you're saved. If you know you're not, and you die tonight, do you understand where your eternal resting place will be? David made a constant decision because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You got to make a decision too. I want you to bow with me and just reflect on your life. As for me, I recognize God had been so good to me. But I couldn't sense his presence. And I cried out, Lord created me a clean heart. And renewed that right spirit upon me. And I've had to do that several times since 1983. 
I thank God for the change. Father, I believe there's someone here today that's just like me. Recognize that the relationship between you and them is not where it needs to be. I pray that you will hear the cries of their heart and renew that right spirit within them. That they may be free by the Spirit of God. And Lord, there's someone here who need to move from being your creation to your child. I pray you give them the courage to tell somebody I want to receive Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that I give thanks. Amen. So if there's someone here today that don't know Christ, We want to avail an opportunity for you to come and get in touch with the King of Kings. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.